1: the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and this week I want to talk about something we just don't talk about that much. A few weeks ago now, there was a major abortion rights case before the Supreme Court, the first one in decades. It's called Whole Women's Health v. Hellerstedt, and it regards trap laws, laws that are instituted by legislatures which are trying to get rid of clinics that provide abortion care by regulating them to death, basically saying they have to be up to the standards of hospitals. They have to have halls this wide and the doctors have to have admitting privileges and all of these standards that don't get applied to any other kinds of medical clinics and certainly are not called for if you look at the data on how safe abortion is, which is very safe. So anyway, Texas has instituted some really draconian trap laws, and one of the clinics whose existence is threatened by that has sued. And that case has made it all the way to the Supreme Court. So there's this huge discussion happening about women's access to healthcare clinics and abortion care at the same time as it happened on the same day that it was International Sex Worker Rights Day. You know, I saw a couple people tweeting about the similarities between the two issues about sex worker rights and our rights to health care and specifically abortion care. And I thought, yeah, that's a conversation we need to have more of. And especially when you consider this is an assault, not just on our access to abortion care, but on our access to health care in general. In a lot of places, these are where many, many women get their primary health care attended to. And when women's health care gets restricted, what we know is that hurts the women who are already most at risk the most. So I got to talk to someone who can talk to us more about the sort of day-to-day impacts of these big high-level conversations that get had about abortion politics and sexual politics and healthcare care politics in general and how those impact the daily lives of sex workers. Jenna Torres is the program coordinator at the Red Umbrella Project, which is an amazing organization, a peer-led organization doing community organizing and advocacy by and for sex workers. Welcome to the program.
2: Hi, Jacqueline. It is tradition
1: here on Unscrewed to put you through your paces in a little lightning round. Right. Awesome. So what has made you the happiest this week?
2: I'm going on vacation next week, so. Yay.
1: Can you tell us where you're going? I'm going to Hawaii. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. Listeners, when you are listening to this, Jenna is going to be in Hawaii. Yay! Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> what is the best sex advice you've ever received? As working
2: wise or like personal wise? Whichever one you want. Working wise, the best sex advice I ever got is like all money isn't good money. That, and then also that guys like to be babied. So treat them like children and you get more out of them. So. <laughs> What is the sex
1: related or sexuality related news that's made you the maddest or saddest recently?
2: I wanna say the murders of trans women. Last year we had 28 murders that we know of. Some of them been misgendered or called by their dead name and this year we've had a lot of murders and suicides. So that has been the saddest for me and most of them or a lot of them were sex workers. What's the biggest sex myth that
1: you once
2: believed? I guess as far as health is concerned, I thought like listerine in your mouth after you like gave oral sex that you know you would be killing everything. That's so not true. Do not do that. No, no, no. That's actually how you make yourself more susceptible to stuff. So don't do that. Oh, is that because it makes your mouth raw? Yeah, because the alcohol, like it like makes little tiny cut incisions into your mouth. So you don't do that. Like if you're going to wash your mouth out with something, make sure that it doesn't have alcohol in it. All right.
1: Who's the bravest person you can think of who's working in some way to unscrew our sexual culture?
2: I want to say like Monica Jones. She's really ins- inspirational to be. She stands up for all the things that are wrong and transgender stuff. And like then she just like posts sexy pictures on Facebook. So
1: <laughs> excellent. My kind of people. All right. Are you ready to get into it? Absolutely. So Did you notice this intersection on that day with the Supreme Court and all the tweeting about the Supreme Court case and then also International Sex Worker Day? Maybe we'll start there. How are you feeling that day?
2: With most topics, um, this is not something that's new to the Red Umbrella Project. Um, This is something that we've always talked about. At some point in life, we were two separate organizations. We had Persist Health Project and Red Umbrella Project. We shared an office together. A lot of our work overlapped with each other. But the main function of Persist Health was to educate healthcare providers on best practices trainings on how to deal with people from the sex industry. For instance, like not calling the cops on them. And, you know, that seems like a good place to start. Yeah. Right. So simple things like that. My personal experience is that I went to Planned Parenthood. When I was working as a sex worker, I get screened every three months or so and i asked for a full screening of stds and testing and the woman was like well why do you need one i was like i just want one i shouldn't have to explain why she said well you don't show any symptoms so i don't think you should get one i'm like but like you know things could lay dormant in your body for a long time so i would like you to do one So ultimately she ended up refusing to give me a full panel of STD screening. And that was like strike one for me. And then when I met Persist and Red Umbrella Project, I started doing their best practices trainings and talking to Planned Parenthood and healthcare officials and all these different things. And I just realized people don't understand what human trafficking is. People don't understand what sex work is. They don't understand those different things. What most people don't understand when we talk about sex work and human trafficking, there's a lot of great areas. For instance, I've been a, in both situations. I've been part of human trafficking and I've also been part of sex work. And that's similar for most people in the industry. They had some type of coercion happen in their sex work life. When we have those conversations about like abortion rights, women's reproductive rights, all of those different things is ways that people can monitor, can restrict, can put their opinion on a woman's body. And that goes very similar for sex work too. The reason why people do sex work for most part is because they need money, is because they need a livable wage, because they need housing or food or whatever it is. Which is the reason people do most jobs. Right. When we have people who are getting denied basic rights, even for me, like STD testing should not be that big of a deal. I should not have to explain my whole life story as to why. I would like to be screened for STDs. No,
1: and especially out of Planned Parenthood. I feel like there's a failure of sisterhood. I
2: think it's people can't wrap their minds around why a woman would engage in sex work. Or if they are engaging in sex work on, like, coercive terms, like human trafficking type of sex work, they still can't wrap their minds around about why women just don't go to the police or why women don't, you know, say something, but... The police are never here to protect us. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter how bad the situation is. They've designed things without our safety in mind. So when you go to healthcare providers who have never been in that situation of having to make a decision between getting raped or calling the police, they're always going to choose that opposite situation because the police are never going to help us.
1: Do you feel like there's a place for you that you're welcome in the mainstream re- reproductive rights movement as a sex worker? or former sex worker?
2: Yes and no, because we're still doing lots of work around destigmatizing what sex work is. And I feel like as the sex worker rights movement shifts and as the reproductive movement shifts, it's lacking a certain type of people's voices, particularly people who are most criminalized by sex work or most criminalized in general, which is like black women and trans women, I actually have a member who has an amazing story. The woman has cysts on her ovaries, and she went to go to the doctor and get the cysts removed. And the doctor accidentally snipped off her ovary. (gasps) And they never told her until she went to try to have a child that she only had one ovary. You know, when you're low income, when you're in poverty, you are going to doctors who take Medicaid, who offer low-cost services. They don't have the same regard for our bodies, how somebody who has money It's all about privilege. And it's sad to say, and people don't want to believe it's true, but it is what it is. As a sex worker, I get screened constantly because I want to keep not only myself safe, but my partner safe, but whoever I'm dealing with safe. And most sex workers along that lines also do the same thing because it's about taking care of yourself because if you're sick, you can't work. Doctors already know what income level you're at they have less regard for those who are not in a position to, like, sue them.
1: I know that you said that you're doing work training medical providers. Have places like Planned Parenthood, have they been taking steps to improve? Do you see a path to a better way?
2: Me, personally, after that incident, I never went back to Planned Parenthood. Here at Umbrella Project, we do care coordination, which is kind of like get people access to Doctors that we have personally vetted and feel safe with our community, but a lot of women who go to a lot of different providers, they're not open and honest about what they do as work. And sometimes that can be really harmful because like if you're going to a doctor, and you can't tell them the full story. That's not going to help your diagnosis or whatever is going on with you.
1: Right. They don't know your actual risk levels. They don't know what you're doing with your body. And so
2: it's hard to treat your body. Right. So, yeah. And then also it's like a fear of repercussion of like what happens once I do tell you I'm a sex worker? Do you call the cops on me? Do you like report me as being a victim of human trafficking? Like what what is the repercussions of me being open and honest with you? If you put that in my medical chart, who else can see that? Those are all questions that come into like a person's mind when they're dealing with sex workers and going to a provider. And so how do you
1: vet the doctors that you do trust at Red Umbrella Project?
2: So most times from my understanding is that most people tell us what good experiences they've had. Sometimes we have the pleasure of meeting them um, in a different setting and then just talking to them about like the different things that we do and what are their policies and like how do you feel about x y and z and letting them know this is what it is and we expect this amount of service and most of them are really willing to help they're really willing to like be educated. Some of them even go to the extent of having a training for their entire office or whoever, because it's really important. And those who really care about women's health, who really care about our bodies and us being healthy, happy, and safe, they're willing to do the trainings. They're willing to listen to what sex workers have to say and how we should be treated because it is different. It's different level of risk that you take when you constantly subject yourself to different people
1: tell me maybe a little more specifically what makes a good provider and a good provider experience like when you go to a doctor or a medical provider who's great or who's trained up who you trust what makes the difference what's it like and how is that different from someone that you wouldn't want to go to
2: body language the way like if I said like I had sex with 20 people not with the cringe of your inside showing on your outside, the way you ask questions, the way you assume things, all of these different things play into how comfortable somebody initially feels with sitting down with you. That from the moment I walk into a doctor's office, because they first initially do an intake about like, how old are you? And have you had these health issues or whatever the case may be, you know, that that's the first contact you have. And if I don't feel comfortable with you in the in the first basics of conversation. You think I'm going to tell you that I've had sex with 20 people? Do you think I'm going to tell you that I'm a sex worker? Absolutely not. It's really about hospitality and how you do patient care and all those things make somebody comfortable enough to get to that level of disclosure. Are
1: there best practices, policies that you recommend also that if somebody does disclose that they're a sex worker, you let them be in control, right? You don't call the police on them or refer them
2: out for services they don't want. People are the experts on their own lives. Not everybody who's a sex worker should be required to see a social worker because that's sometimes what also happens is that people would disclose that they're a sex worker and they will refer them to go see a social worker without their permission, like without them asking if that's what they wanted we know what we're doing. We know what we're putting our bodies through. We know what we're doing. And we expect you to just trust us in that process and knowing that we know what's best for our situation. If you're not about to hand me a job that pays more than $15 an hour, mm-hmm. I don't feel people should be entitled to have the opinion about what I do. If you're not about to hand me a degree, you're not about to erase the record that I have. Well, not me personally, but like that people have, if you're not about to put me in a house that is stable, if you're not about to feed me or take care of my kids, then I feel like there's certain things just people should just keep to themselves. Because if you're not gonna offer me a better alternative, then there's really nothing, there's no reason for you to make me feel bad about what I'm doing because you can't do any better for me. When you're doing sex work, and particularly those who do survival sex work, we tend to take more risks than more, most people as far as our health is concerned. And I feel like when a doctor or a nurse or whoever finds out or we disclose that to them, they feel that our bodies is almost disposable and like they don't have to give us the same level of care as somebody who does not have those same risks. And that's not true for everybody. I've had the very, like very fortunate to deal with a lot of great doctors who, even if they didn't know that I was a sex worker, if even if I told them how many partners I initially had or whatever they were very thorough with my body they were very thorough with the with the concerns i've had but overall i think most people think that sex workers are disposable that they're destined to have something wrong with them anyway so i don't necessarily have to give them the same level of care
3: quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs
1: Well, and I think there's also this strategy that's been used for a long time by the mainstream abortion rights movement, which is to make it as little about sex as possible, right? To sort of make it be like, this is our body and our choice about having a baby, but trying to divorce it from like women should actually feel free to have sex for whatever reasons that they actually – want to you know that sells a lot of us up the river not only sex workers but i think sex workers are more vulnerable to that respectability politics where we try not to talk about the, the connection between abortion and sex or birth control or std prevention access and sex like you know we try to divorce it and make it seem all sort of clean and respectable i think it really makes folks who are already vulnerable more vulnerable
2: Right and then and the thing like I speak to college students all the time. This like literally when I mention the word sex people cringe on the inside and I just don't understand like when we talk about sex and like selling things and advertising things and making an item popular or a person popular or whatever it is that's fine. We can put half-naked girls on stage and as long as they have a mic and their titties are out or whatever the case may be it's fine. But as soon as we talk about the end result of what sex actually leads to sometimes, whether it be not wanting a baby or having STDs or whatever the case may be, there's a frozen moment that happens. And that, that has even happened with some of the stuff that we've worked on in the past, like access to condoms.
1: Well, if it's consumable by men, right? Like if men feel like it's for them and about them, then it's fine. But if it's about women's ability to make their own sexual choices without men interfering, that becomes a different
2: conversation. But isn't that how America was formed? Everything was designed without our presence in mind. What we're supposed to do, we're supposed to be home. We're supposed to make kids. We're supposed to wash the house, clean the house, make sure that his dinner is ready. We're supposed to do all of these and literally revolve around a man's life. And now we're coming to an era where that is no longer true. We're having women who are entrepreneurs, people who are like working in construction. We're in a different way that life functions. We have computers and access to information and research and all these things that were not present when America was first created. But I think that scares the shit out of a lot of people. And I think
1: that's why the organizations that are trying to play politics on the mainstream level are constantly trying to reassure and act like what we're asking for, what we're demanding is not so scary. When in fact, actually maybe you should be a little scared. Maybe this is actually pretty radical and
2: you have less power now and maybe you should feel uncomfortable. <laughs> like, yeah. Even though we're in 2016, there's some people who legitimately think that that wound should not work. Should stay home. It's funny because I'm not only a program coordinator for Red Umbrella Project, but I've also did Mary Kay. Oh, really? Her story is amazing. Everybody told her that she could not do this. Like, this would never work. Mary Kay would never work. Her husband died before she was able to launch her company. Her accountant told her that her best option was to like liquidate everything and get back some of your money. And you would never be able to run this without your husband. You would never be able to do anything without a man giving. Giving you guidance. She founded a whole organization. This company is so big and it's amazing and it influences women to do whatever, whatever enriches their life. It just shows that people are intimidated about how powerful women can be and have always been. And truth be told, there's most times that people are threatened by the idea of sex workers. There are people who are threatened by the fact that we use our body as a way to make money. And that is unrestricted by how a man thinks. I mean, I think a lot of women, a lot of feminists even are uncomfortable about that. Yeah, definitely. They're they're uncomfortable with the idea that like, you know, a woman's body should be sacred and it should be something that is covered up and
1: mystified. And if you want sex to be sacred, that's cool. You should make sex sacred for yourself.
2: That that's not a one size fits all solution. Also, when we have members agreements here at Red Umbrella Project, then one of my favorite ones is usually it's pertaining to food, but my favorite one is don't yuck my yum. Not only do I like tend to eat weird things, so don't yuck my yum, but also it means whatever is good for me, whatever I like, just be happy I like it. Like, Let's be happy that we're together in the same room, sharing spaces and not concerned about whatever it is that I enjoy in life.
1: Right. If you're not hurting anyone, why is it somebody else's business what you
2: enjoy? Right. Can I ask you what kind of weird foods you like? I think it was a pregnancy thing and it just like stuck with me. It's sour cream, bananas and strawberry and like sugar. That sounds amazing. Actually, that's not weird. Most people think it's. I think it's very odd i've had fruit and
1: sour cream before it's delicious that little like sourness and the creaminess and the sweetness of the fruit and the like a little acidity from the fruit i'm yumming you're yum
2: and then also like my mother who raised me was jewish and like i'm black and puerto rican and i eat matzah and like nobody else like matzah they're just like, what is this? This has no taste. I love matzah. I, I can't do
1: this anymore because I actually can't have gluten, so I can't have the matzah and I can't have dairy. But back when I could eat these things, I would like putting a nice thick schmear of butter on the matzah and a little salt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You and I could definitely eat together. Definitely. Sounds great. <laughs>
2: when you talk to college students, what do you talk to them about? I usually talk to them about what sex work is and what human trafficking is from the perspective of a sex worker usually they have really interesting questions. Like I'll ask them, where do you think, you know, human trafficking and sex work take place? And they never, almost never say the United States, never. They say China, they say India, they say in Dungeons somewhere in like West Africa, they say all different things, but rarely do I get somebody who says United States. I feel like some of the decisions that people make around sex work, around women's health, is because they just don't know, like, They're just not informed enough. If that's one of the great marketing skills I've learned while doing Mary Kay and various other things is that most times people stay, no because they don't have enough information. I think that's very true within bills. I think that's very true within laws. I feel like a lot of those things, people will not pass it because they just don't know enough. So like to a man who never had to get an abortion, never had to deal with reproductive rights, I can see why they would say no. How do we overcome that? How do we get men to care about our issues? (laughs)
1: Or how do we get people who haven't become curious? How do we get people to become curious
2: and empathetic? The best way to make people curious is by storytelling, is by sharing your story. It sounds like a really scary thing because it is a really scary thing. You're putting content out into the universe, whether it be oral storytelling or You know, written storytelling, whatever it is, you're putting content out into the world. And it's a scary thing. But if you are not open and honest about the things that people have experienced, they're going to think that you're just the 0.001% person who feels like this or has experienced this. But they don't realize there's such a a bigger population that shares same ideals, same, same feelings about these type of topics, but they never speak up. And therefore, like, it makes women who advocate for sex worker rights, women who advocate for reproductive health rights, it makes them look like they're the zero 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 point one person who cares about this stuff. Right. Have enough courage to, like, put it out there, even if it's under a different name, even if it's not coming from your mouth, whatever it is, but being sharing those stories. So people can see that is some that is is a big issue that it is connecting, that it does have really harmful repercussions when people make decisions without our input, without our opinions being out there. And then sometimes we feel like we're so isolated. I know that is very much true in the sex worker world is that people feel very isolated and they don't think that people share similar stories or similar feelings or... You don't know who you can trust with your story. Right. So we have storytelling workshops and stuff. It's really off the basis that people can come to a space where they can be safe and talk about content and feelings and stories that they wouldn't have otherwise shared.
1: Have you done storytelling yourself about your own story and and how has that been for you? What's that
2: experience been like? I've been a spoken word poet since I was 15 years old. I started when I was 15 because we have a program here called Urban Word. Initially, I went to like an alternative high school where they give you like jobs to be in school and all this great stuff. And I end up meeting it's really funny because this poet like the poet teacher i would see him every day and he knew about me before i knew about him because i had like this poetry class that i was taking and i would walk past him every day and he would not say anything to me one day i'm like you know i should really be in your poetry class blah 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 blah. he's like yeah sure you know i already know a lot about you so you should come to new york poetry cafe he hosts there on wednesday nights and for weeks, months, I was working with him and making my poetry really good. I was doing Urban Word, and it was great. And I Googled him one day, and he's world-renowned. He's, like, amazing in every sense of the word. His name is Jive Poetic, and he's super amazing. And I walked past this guy, like, literally every day, and I was like, I have no interest to talk to him. Being a young mother and going through foster care system and all these different things, he might have really saved my life. Giving me the tools to do spoken word and write my feelings and be the advocate that I am now. I don't think I would ever be in a position I'm in now to help other folks if it wasn't for him. That's amazing.
1: So tell me about some of your best or worst experiences telling your own story.
2: I have like this specific sex worker poem and a woman came up to me after that and she was like, you know, I never hear about people getting up here and talking about sex work ever. And that's so amazing. And that made me feel so good. But very similar, I went to a spoken word place and I did that same poem. And somebody scored me like a three out of 10. Mm-hmm. I know it's just because they just don't understand why somebody like you would want to be in sex work and what the, the narrative is behind it. They just don't understand because like poem wasn't designed for you to really understand that portion of it. Right, it was not holding your hand
1: with that part. Right. So they were like, I'm not feeling this. I used to do one about female genital mutilation. And I I had a guy come up to me afterwards and say, I really loved your poem. It was very erotic.
2: No, no. Because it says the, like, the word clitoris in it, I guess. I don't know. It was really, yeah. It's so funny because when we have a documentary that is called The Red Umbrella Diaries. So the film is amazing. And then they also have like a Q&A thing afterwards. One of the guys were like, this wasn't sexy at all. And it's like, yes, that was the entire point. Good job. (laughs) See, sometimes you change people by making them uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's what I think that needs to happen within every movement. Like there needs to be a level of discomfort because truth is like as a society, as a group of people, we become desensitized to certain things when we're constantly flooded with it. Most of my community is desensitized by violence. They think police brutality is something that is normal and to expect. That's the same thing in the sex worker world. We've become desensitized to violence because we think men are supposed to treat us like that. Men are supposed to put their hands on us. Cops are supposed to be rough with us, and that's not true. And it's the same thing with women's reproductive rights. There's things that we think about ourselves that end up like influencing the movement. When we break out of that and realize, like, no, actually, we deserve better. Actually, no, that wasn't our appropriate question. Or, no, you should be caring about my body just like other people care about my body. When we start breaking down those internal things that we feel about ourselves and showing, like, that's actually not true, there's a level of discomfort that's going to come with that because there's people who have been conditioned to think that that is okay. Yesterday I had a great question. We were telling our stories and the guy was like, I'm very new and young and naive to what sex work is. And I wanna know like how we can get involved. And I just have two words, pay us, that's it. Pay us for everything and anything. Pay me, support my business, support me. And like, once we start doing that, it's amazing what you would see a person go through if you just pay them. And I don't necessarily always mean money, give them support support their work show up to their events show up to their shows buy their books you want to support them in doing whatever it is pay us that seems like an
1: amazing place to wrap up this conversation that's perfect thank you so much for coming on the show
2: you're so very welcome
1: how can people follow red up's
2: work and also your work so red up has a bunch of different ones we have RedUmbrellaProject.org. We are on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also on Twitter, JTPoeticBeauty. RedUp is RedUpNYC on Twitter, also on Facebook. And yeah, you can also just Google our number or email address and you can definitely just talk to me because like I'm a real person and that happens.
1: (laughs) You do seem like a real person to me.
2: Awesome. Anything else we should know? Just look out for our diaries. That's the film, right? Yeah, the films. I know there's one premiering very soon. Just go on our website and you can see when the film is traveling and if it's coming to a college or a film festival near you. Also, we definitely do college talks and all these different things.
1: Excellent. And if people want to bring the film somewhere, there's info on your site about how to do that as well?
2: Yeah, just contact me and I can get you contacted with the right people. Awesome. And folks can find me at JacquelineFriedman.com.
1: That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N dot com. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F as in Friedman. You can join the conversation on Twitter using the Unscrewed hashtag. You can talk about anything you heard in this episode. Feel free to give me an at mention at Jacqueline F. Uh, We would love to keep the conversation going. You can also email me, unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com. You can find this podcast wherever podcasts are available. Look it up on Acast, on iTunes, on Stitcher. If you like this show, if you like this episode, please give us a little rating and review on iTunes. That is how other people find it. So if you want more people to hear this conversation, rating and reviewing as well as sharing in your networks is the way to go with that. This show is produced in collaboration with the excellent Katie Tandy, creative director at theestablishment.co. Our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and the In-N-Out music that you are listening to right now is by The Pink Tiles. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives.